This is the second week of a three-week study from the parable of the prodigal son and based on a book entitled The Prodigal God by Timothy Keller. Last week we talked about all the supporting um, scriptures around this. This week we're going to talk about the reception of the boy back home and the difficulties with his elder brother. Next week we'll talk about the feast and we'll talk about heaven. Last week we got to the setting for it, the, the, the teaching of Jesus and the telling of parables that are parables of the kingdom. Want to know what the kingdom of God is like? Want to know what the gospel is like? Listen to these parables. The parables of healing somebody on the Sabbath, of rescue of a son or an ox that's in a ditch or a well, a banquet that's given and the invited folk don't show. Uh, Stories about a lost sheep, a lost Cohen, and uh, a lost son, or more correctly, two lost sons. And the graciousness of the father uh, upon the return home of the prodigal. Now this week, the lesson material out of the book is going to talk about the elder brother. And several weeks ago when I talk this over in the seekers. I didn't like what my second week sounded like. What it'll tell you is the elder brother is religious and proud of it. And it's um, it's not much fun to just talk about him like that. Uh, we, the church people in our community, are, are going to be seen by the community around us as the elder brothers. We are going to be judged our morals are going to be judged by the community around, and they will watch what we do and decide whether or not we really are Christian or not. And so before we start into this part about this brother, who of course is set up to look a fair amount like the villain in this story, let me just tell you a little, little story that came to me this week as I was thinking about this. In 1995, I started working with the Department of Corrections and went down to Georgia State Prison in Reedsville, down in Reedsville, that area of Reedsville, uh, Lyons and Vidalia, where the Vidalia onions are, are uh, grown. And a lot of big farms down there, a lot of big time, what's called uh, agribusiness, not farming, agribusiness. And there's a man down there that just had Boot of acres, and he had uh, rented rental houses for all of his, a lot of his workers, and he's running a super big time project down in Georgia, South Georgia, growing of Fidelity onions, and quite well known. And there occurred a crisis in the family, and his oldest son. Uh, a, a graduate of the University of Georgia in agribusiness stepped in. The boy really was a father's, an answer to a father's prayer. He stepped right in and started and took over the business and kept that farm in a very profitable way, modernizing things and making the farm, uh, the business, the family's business, everything that it ought to be. And his father was very proud of him. For his 30th birthday, his father threw a big party to celebrate his son. 
everybody who was anybody in my day or Lyons or uh, Reasonable came. And it was the party at the end of all parties. Everybody was there. Um, the party was going great. It was about time to cut the cake and sing happy birthday and he's a jolly good fellow and, and uh, break out the champagne in celebration. And one of the men that worked for this man uh, he had a bunch of his workers were helping, and they were working out behind the house, cooking the pigs, you know, and all that kind of stuff. One of the guys came in the house and said to this man, Look, so I hate to interrupt the party, but that sorry, no good, drug-abusing, renegade son of yours has come up, and he's out back talking to the men. And not only that, but he looks like, you know what? My God, he looks terrible. He looks like he ain't had a haircut in God knows when. He's dirty. He stinks. He's a mess. But what's even more disturbing than that is he's talking to the men out there, asking them if you've got any vacant rental houses. And he's talking about an idea of wanting to go to work for you. And we don't know what to do with him. And the father said, well, look, you know, I'm busy in here with some really important people right now, but why don't you do this? Y'all take him out there and get him in the shower and get him cleaned up and somebody lend him some clothes, at least put clean clothes on him. And after a little while, when things quieten down here in the party, an hour or so, I'll come out there and we'll talk to him and see what we need to do with him. You like that story? It's a great story. It's an all-American story in terms of the boy having the birthday party, is it not? Great guy. Hard-working, dependable, loyal, uh, helping the family. Everybody loves him. In fact, they were thinking about uh, putting, his, putting his name in nomination uh, for maybe uh, a representative from that area. Y'all like that story? A whole heck of a lot better than the story in the Bible, ain't it? Yeah. Radically different. I asked George to put in the note, and he did. That, um, And by the way, that first story came from a storytelling thing that Clyde Annandale did about 15 years ago. And the guy's name on the first telling of that story was called Will Power. And uh, he was a big, big time uh, farmer down in South Georgia. That's not the story in the Bible. That's a good, hardworking, moralistic, solid citizen story. But it ain't the gospel. The story in in here is a story that. Um, operates on a different basis. While uh, looking at, at other opinions about what the, the, the prodigal son story had to tell, I ran up across about six or seven pages here from Barbara Brown um, Taylor, the Episcopal woman minister, well-known in the Atlanta area, well-celebrated. And she said the reason this story has always been such a disturbing story, but a great story, is that if you look at how the father treated 
the boy, the prodigal, who was returning. It's an entirely amoral story. Let's see. You go off. You spend everything you got. You live like a drunken sailor and uh, a drug addict and running with all the wrong people till you run out of money. But then if you come home, the wages of sin is a great big party and your daddy gives you back everything you lost. And you can understand how that could be an offensive story, could it not? You bet this story was offensive to the people that heard it. Remember the two groups of people listening to Jesus talk. The sinners and the tax collectors. The down and out. The people that knew they were sinners. And the other group are the self-righteous, moralistic, religious people, the church people of the day. The Pharisees. The elder brothers of the community. And they knew that this story was aimed at them. Now, in the story, you could say that the, um, the brother uh, was essentially made out to be, to be a villain. But you can also argue for the elder brother's situation. Look what he's done. If you talk about the idea that God ought to accept me in heaven because look what a good boy I have been. you got to love this, this story, okay? Now I want to ask you, as you understand all that we've said so far, what's the matter with this boy, this oldest son? What is the matter with him? He's human. He's human. Um... I don't know that I would agree with that entirely. I think he's for the, if I work hard, then I should get my just desserts. And if I get my just desserts, you know, uh, it's, it's going to be heaven. God, God ought to appreciate me. What else you see wrong with this boy's attitude? What's he, what's he jealous of, Tom? Jealous of his brother. My gosh, she suddenly is getting all of the attention. Mm-hmm. I think he wanted to be the favorite son. Mm-hmm. Well, he's been. Remember, he's. I mean, he's been. He's he's done everything that needed to be done. Remember when the estate got divided up, which of course. Let me ask it this way. Do you think God has actually given us too much, us human beings? And these people, this boy didn't deserve getting his share of the estate either, did he? Um, okay, he's jealous, maybe. Uh, what else is he doing that, could, that you could see uh, as bothersome? Is he more interested in who he is and what he's got and what his position is? Maybe he never liked this little brother anyway. Maybe he was a jerk from the word go. Maybe, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe he was a little brother that uh, big brother couldn't uh, couldn't have been gladder to see the boy leave. You know, I mean, he was he was a pain. Uh, you reckon? 
There can be terrible rivalries. Yeah. The boy, now, now we got, we got, we got two lost sinners in this story. Okay. Two, two lost sinners. The first boy wanted what he wanted. He wanted it right now. His stuff, the father's stuff, was more important to the prodigal than the father was. So there's number one thing, isn't it? Stuff's more important than people. Money, things, what it can get you. It can be very tantalizing as an immature young person to fall into that trap, can it? Yes. I, I don't see where he's giving the son 50% again, the product. Mm -hmm. I think the older son, and I think we can all identify with that, has been working hard, mm -hmm. is a good person, and his father has never done anything special there. So here comes the bum back, and he is mm -hmm. resentful. Mm -hmm. Which because, not because the son is back, but because of the enormous celebration. But I think the key is... So why is the father doing this then? What's the matter with the old man? Has he lost his good sense? Son, you are always with, with me. And everything and I have is yours. So it's the comfort of being with okay. the Lord. So what if we said this, this older boy has had no... He's not been shunned by the father. He's had everything. And whatever it was he had, it wasn't quite enough to take care of whatever it is that turned down inside him and made who he was or who he wanted to be or whatever more important than a brother. Yes? What comes to mind now is tough love. When we have a child that is going through difficult times, sometimes... We say we have to show tough love mm -hmm. and love them and let them go and do their thing and pray that they will turn around and come back. Now you're talking about the father letting the boy go. Letting the boy go. I love you, but because I love you, I have to let you go and do your thing. Well, of course, if he insists on going, if he insists on going, he's going to go. Well, what about tough love when the boy gets back? Yes. It's another side to it. Uh, the older brothers would also be wondering, why is the younger brother back? Is he coming back to use his father again, or is he coming back to love his father again? Well, actually, the language of the parable doesn't really say. The, the, the main... Now, we got the older brother interested in stuff and things and what have you. But if you just go to the parable itself, the younger brother is starving to death. He is dishonored. He's feeding pigs. Nobody loves him. He's got, he's got, he ain't got nothing. He's in a terrible mess. And his primary thing to go home is to keep from starving to death. He's so self-centered. And he believes. Now, what do you, what do you think about this belief? If I get home, my daddy will hire me. What does that say about the relationship of the father to the son? My daddy's going to hire me when I get home? You're looking for employees, you don't want this boy. No, 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 no. He's a loving father. He wasn't a loving father, he wasn't what he did in the first place. Oh. You mean we call him a prodigal father, an extravagant father, because... There is no sin 
that the love of the Father can't forgive. There is nobody so lost but what grace of God cannot overcome their lostness and, and bring them back. The uh, uh, Barbara Brown writes in here, and this is an article she wrote for a, Lent, a Linton luncheon series and wrote it in 1999, not long after Clinton had uh, been uh, brought before the Congress, what do we call it, impeached. She said, and if you'd apply this biblical ethic, what the father did to this boy that came back, to the case of the president, there had been no impeachment trial. Once the affair is over, the prodigal comes home, the roast goes in the oven, all is forgiven before any apologies offered. We didn't apply the story of the prodigal son to President Clinton back in with his stuff. But if you, you see, you've got to argue against the idea that this boy can go out and live the way he lived, dishonor his father, uh, forsake home. He's off doing his own thing. He don't care about what's going on back at home. He's out there making his own way in the world. So you go out there and sin all you want to sin, and if you get broke, you can come home and you're going to get a lavish party and your father's going to forgive everything before you've ever gotten around to repenting, hardly. Yes? How do we feel one will hear, let's say, a mobster, big time mobster? Uh -huh. You know, killer, into all kinds of sin and fast women, fast cars, etc., tons of money, and on his deathbed, he accepts God. So mm -hmm. he's going to get his reward, except Jesus. He's going to get his reward. It's not fair. It's just not fair. We're all supposed to do our fair part, right? It's not fair. It's not fair. Is that a, is that a critique of the gospel? The gospel's not necessarily fair. What happens in the story is not necessarily fair. I, I think it's our challenge as Christians who are blessed to recognize those blessings and not feel that resentment. Yeah. Isn't that what we're called on to do? Well, it's going to depend on where our values are. It's going to depend a little bit on our theology, what we believe. So part of the question for today is, what does this boy believe, this older brother believe? If you look at the Bible, the whole Bible, God wants to be in relationship with everyone. Ah. This man in the story has got two lost sons. One is lost at home because he's still so much into himself and his self-righteousness that he does not understand the value of relationships. And the one that went away is just as bad off. Relationships is not what particularly brought him back. It's a chance to get some clean clothes and a place to a place to sleep and, and get a job. And he thinks he can work his way back into the Father's heart. Um, the, the idea then that um, what what it is that's going on with either of these brothers is very different than what's going on in the mind and in the heart of the father. They, there's an interesting thing that we can think about this when we talk about the prodigal coming. We can say, this prodigal returning home had a very limited scope of what he's going to do. Yes, he's going to say, I'm sorry, and I've done what's, uh, what's wrong, and um, 
I've sinned against heaven and against you. Uh, please take me back. And a point can be made that for all of us sinners coming home, this man's got two lost sons. How many lost sons and daughters has God got? The whole darn human race. Every one of us. There's no, not one that's good, according to Romans 3. We've all turned, turned away. And this idea of, uh, did the boy repent adequately before he got home? Was he repentant enough so that the father can say, okay, you've been repentant enough, now I'll forgive you. The gospel doesn't require that sort of thing to start with. Paul, writing in Ephesians, would tell us that when it comes to earnestly knowing how to genuinely repent of the style of life that we've got and turn ourselves to living as a Christian lives, you need the Holy Spirit to do that. Paul says we're all dead in our trespasses and sins and we're living according to the world and we're living out there as dead men. And I asked this question before, what do you expect out of a dead man? You don't expect anything. You certainly don't expect true insightfulness. The Jesus says in, in John 16, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will. He will convict the world of sin. That is, he'll teach you and me. The Holy Spirit, when he's in our lives, he'll teach us what sin is. And he'll teach us what true righteousness is. That is not me. It's a righteousness as a gift from God. Righteousness is God's righteousness. And we believe that we have been gifted by being accounted righteous, even as Martin Luther says, even when we're not, we're still sinners, yet we're saints. Because God gives us credit for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Is that right? That's right. Okay. And, so the father is not requiring the boy to be adequately repentant when he walks in the door. Are you with me? And we know that out of the father. The father's not going to listen to the whole story and say, now what else have you got to say? While the boy is trying to tell his story, I'm sorry, I want to come back. I want to work for you. You know, uh, you don't, I, I'm not fit to be your son. What's the father doing? Hugging the boy's neck, hugging him and kissing him and yelling out instructions to bring him some fresh clothes and, and give him all that it means to be, to be a son of God. Fresh all over again. Oh, are you not glad that God operates the way he operates? instead of the way this elder brother operates. We've got some good examples in the Bible of an elder brother. We've got the primary elder brother in the whole Bible. is Jesus Christ. He's called our elder brother. Anybody know that scripture reference? Christ is our elder brother. Looking out for us. Who is a reformed Pharisee elder brother? Paul. Paul. Why is it not, does it make sense that the biggest self-righteous Pharisee and the star pupil of all of the up-and-coming leaders of the Jewish people should understand this point that we're talking about right now? When God slapped him on, did Paul, did the Apostle Paul do an adequate repentance before God called him? Uh-uh. He's going ready to get people and get them put in jail. And what does the Holy Spirit do for 
Brother Paul slapped him flat on his face out on a dirty road and, and blind, scared the pure living daylights out of him, and let him spend three days like that? You think he got the message? He, you think he began to see his own righteousness after that as filthy rags? Paul, Paul got that straight. We see everywhere in his writing this idea that the grace and mercy of God is an absolutely different matter than the moralism that we apply and live by in so many other ways. Don't you think that Paul repented after Oh, Bible? yes. Oh yes. Think about this for us right now when we're talking about whether these boys are adequately repentant. The whole idea of living the Christian life is not the exercise of us displaying to the world our now perfection. The perfectness that we've got now that we've got God in our heart and in our life. The Christian life is a life of constant repentance and constant seeking God's will. It's the end, the, when the Holy Spirit comes to us, that's the beginning of our life. And the Holy Spirit is the one who inspires us to want to grow and come more, become more like Christ. Is that not right? And when we first know God, we first come to God, whatever amount of Sorrow, godly sorrow, repentance, asking God to forgive us that we get, can be very superficial and very self-serving. Does that make any sense to you? Makes sense to me, I'll tell you. When God found me, I didn't find God. God found me as an 11-year-old kid. I promise you, I didn't have, I didn't have any religion. Didn't make any difference. I was more interested in baseball, school board patrol, and uh, and running, and, and and racing, riding bicycles, and being a kid. Okay, and I came to the Lord not because I said to myself, "Oh goodness, Benjamin, you're in a real mess. You're a sinner. You're gonna die and go to hell. You better get yourself straight before God." I promise you, I never thought that thought. I never thought that thought. That the um, total amount that I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm trying to use an extreme case of how little you have to know about what God's going to do for you to experience God's grace. And what I knew was that I was went, had gone to a camp meeting down in South Georgia, and there were older boys, boys older than me, two and three years older than me, whom I respected. And a whole batch of them had gone to the altar during the camp meeting, which is what's supposed to happen, you know. And they had gotten religion. And I think what I thought, now you think about it, here's how God, God, doesn't God call each of us in whatever way he needs to call us? If you're going to call a child, then God's going to call a child. A uh, child doesn't understand a lot. I think what I understood, the Holy Spirit working in me, not me, because I didn't have any interest in that. And the thought was, maybe I need to do what they're doing. Can you see how gentle the Holy Spirit is? Working with a, a boy, a child, 11 years old. What did I know? And so I went down to that altar and prayed and 
thought of every nasty, dirty word I'd ever said and all the little things that dirty little boys do and repented of every bit of that. But what I wasn't ready for was the same thing that this prodigal son wasn't ready for. I wasn't ready. I had no idea that God would come in my life and change it and change me so radically. It just blew my mind 53 years ago. And it blows my mind every time I think about it. That's the grace of God that comes to undeserving sinners. And the reason is not because of anything that any one of us sinners ever did to deserve God to come to us or to obligate Him to come to us. In fact, we may have even, the scriptures full, Paul was actually the enemy of God, if you will, in that sense. And, and I was too ignorant to be anything, really. And God comes into our lives and changes us, gives us the Holy Spirit, after which we start understanding, growing in our understanding of what's good, what's right. What's God-like? What are the changes I need to make? Those changes are made after we're saved, not beforehand. So we have a story here of a man with two sons, and, uh, neither one of which uh, seems to uh, have, it, have the story straight. Both of them, each of them lost in their own way. One in a way of wantonness and the other in the way of self-righteousness. But both lost. It's the grace and mercy of God that runs right over top of who we are and where we are and the bringing us to Him and putting us in right relationship is done because God wants to. God loves human beings. He has invested a great deal in us, obviously, because the scripture says that we're made in his image. We're made in the image of God. God risked a lot making you and me. Think of how many dumb things you've already done in your life. You know, God risked a lot. He had to know that Adam and Eve, when faced with, with their situation, could and maybe would fail. Scripture says that Jesus Christ, thinking what God risked, Jesus Christ was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world, before the physical creation in the mind of God. Jesus Christ is already the Savior. Yes. Yes. So, the good news here is God undoubtedly knows what he's doing in this salvation idea. And he can save any sinner, no matter whether he's coming from being an absolute rascal or whether we are a self-righteous, you know, man of the year. The grace and mercy of God is available to each of us. Now, it's time to go. Y'all don't want to miss church today. What's the, what's the name? We're singing the thing out of, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Down to the River. I've been singing it all day. It's going to be fun. Y'all are going to enjoy it. Yes, yes, yes. 
Um, we need to pray and get let y'all get out of here. And next week we're going to talk about heaven. You know, any stories about anybody that's had a glimpse of heaven, be sure and remember them and bring them with you. Our Father, for your goodness to us, that is absolutely overwhelming beyond beyond our imagination. What you have done for us, what you've invested in us, how valuable we are to you that you would claim us as your children. We do thank you for giving us your spirit and for striving with us and for working in us to try to conform us to your will. Bless us as a group of your disciples. Make us your disciples, Lord. And and bring us to who it is and what it is that you would, who you want us to be and what it is uh, that uh, you want to, to accomplish through us. Bless us as we continue to study together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.